Jacob Chastain, I want to know, how's your dog doing? I mean, you've had this puppy. <laughs> you've been talking about this puppy for a while. It's a puppy from your own, but that dog has got to be getting pretty big. So how's it going with your puppy? And don't you have another dog? Yes, I have two dogs. So the first dog, both dogs were acquired without my wife's permission, full disclosure. Oh, um, no. <laughs> yeah. So the first one, Uh-oh. I always said when we bought a house that I would get one. And one night we were just sitting on the porch and I was you know, on Facebook. Someone had posted, you know, like a rescued dogs thing. And I was like, oh, this dog's adorable. And they're like, hey, 50 bucks. We found this dog. They, he still had his umbilical cord attached. We oh, raised yeah. him for a little bit. We've gave him his shots, neutered him, all this other stuff. Come get him. And so I reached out to the person and then I told my wife, I was like, hey, we're picking up this dog tomorrow. And she's oh. like, are you kidding me? And I was like, look at the puppy. And so we went and got the dog. <laughs> and that was my first dog. <clears throat> uh, second dog. Is, is it a big uh, dog? Is your is that first one a big one? or Yeah, I mean, he's, he's kind of big. He's like a, uh, he's, he kind of looks like a small lab. Like oh, okay. he, he's not as big as like a chocolate lab or something like that, but he's, you know, he's, he's fair. Like I would say he's, uh, he's like medium to large is kind of where oh, I, would, okay. I would put him. Not too big. He's also kind of scrawny. Like he's not very, he's not a stocky dog. He's kind of lean. Um, oh, okay. But my second dog comes from a previous student. One of the, not one of the students rightfully empowered, although she should have been, there were some issues that prevented her from being in the book, but, um, I taught her in sixth grade. She left through seventh grade, came back halfway. And then she was there for eighth grade. You know her because she was always, Mm -hmm. she had, uh, she was always in my classroom, like, uh, at the beginning of the day. Yes, yes, yes. I became really close friends with her family. Um, her sister, worked at my son's school and so my son ended up falling in love with her sister um and they became buddies and she's even mm. come over and babysat a little bit she's older um and so they're they're that's one of my favorite groups of humans ever and they had a they have these pit bulls and these bullies and they, you know, they, one was pregnant and I made a joke one time. I was like, Hey, you know, when the, when the litter comes, let me know. And maybe I'll get one. And they reached out and they're like, Hey, we have one more puppy. Would you like one of these dogs? And this was right at the end of last year. Mm-hmm. So this is, you know, for fans of the show, you know, that the ending of that time was very hard for me. Very emotional. Posted about it. Talked about it often. Miss those kids to death. And so when a previous student of that crew is like, hey, I have a dog that not only connects to you because you taught one of them, but also your son, who's incredibly infatuated with the other sister. I was like, well, I got to take the dog. And so you don't have a choice. That's right. And so my (laughs) wife was like, oh, my God, we're about to have a pit bull in the house. And her mom is afraid of pit bulls, which is funny. Oh, and now Kaylee and I are really, we're not, we're not a, like, we're not afraid of any dogs, but pit bulls, like the only, for people who've never owned one, all they, they're just obnoxious. They have tons of energy. They love, they have, they're so big and stocky. Like she's already, it feels like she's heavier than my big dog already. Okay. And so to answer how this is going, she's like chewed through half my fence. <laughs> oh, no. She's like legit. Like I go out there every day and like a new plank is gone. I have a whole <laughs> hole in the, in, in one of the parts of the fence. She's gone. I have all this crap in my yard because she's literally gone into my neighbor's yard and like stole stuff. And I'm just like, Oh, oh no. my God. God. 
It's Does just, your neighbor know it? Yes, they're very nice. They're very cool. We we, we don't have any animosity towards each other, but <laughs> I do have one of their doormats in my backyard that is Toro. Oh my god! Did you pay for a new one? For I them? didn't. No, they they were fine. It was they were like, eh, it's old. It's fine. But there's you know there's like toys over there. I mean, it's a hot mess. And she's chewed up various uh, like she's chewed through cords. I have a lamp in my. In my bedroom that she'd shoot the whole cord in half So I can't even turn on the lamp anymore I mean, it's a hot mess over here, Ochoa And to make matters worse I feel like it took her forever to be potty trained I feel like my other dog Did not take as long Maybe it's because he's a boy I haven't had a girl dog since I was a kid Oh, it's a girl Okay Yes, and so it's a little different But she, I mean, just like Even like she gets excited She pees She runs around She pees Like it was just everywhere So I've (laughs) My my carpet upstairs is stained everywhere. I mean, it's been ugh, it's been a hot mess, Ochoa. Like I just <laughs> let's just say it like that. But here's the thing: she's great. My son loves her. They play games with each other. She's yeah, he uh, she annoys him. She he actually so he plays upstairs mostly. And so when you go up the stairs, it's like a little game room area. But there's like this little walkway. He's blocked it off to keep her out of his space. But when he wants to play, he will. And so she's great. She's 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 just so full of energy and she like when we come home, right, we, we put her in a crate because she'll chew up everything if we don't when we're out. But when we come home, we let her out. She literally barrels out. She parkours off of you. So she like jumps and hits you real quick <laughs> and then runs downstairs and squeals like a little piglet. And I mean, but she's really good. Honestly, I'm glad that we got a girl because she I feel like. If we had a boy, there'd been like an alpha situation. But my older dog, he just like assumes alpha. So she follows him around. She uh, like, you know, when I say tell him to sit, you know, she'll kind of look at him and then she'll sit. And so like there's that they like there's I have tons of pictures that I've, I've shared on my Instagram where, you know, they've they've been cuddling since like day one. So like no fighting. All they do is play with each other. So it's worked out really well dog wise. But. Oh, my God. The amount of things I've had just been like, yep, she chewed this. Oh, another thing she chewed up. So one day we were sitting there and we were like, where's all this foam coming from? Like, what is all this? stuff?" We go into my son's room. He had a foam mattress on top of his other mattress. She had completely dug through his sheets into the foam mattress and dug an entire hole through the foam like topper. And we were just like, oh, my my God. Just nonstop. Like, it's just, oh, I, I, here's another thing. You know, there's so much. She's she's destroyed so many things, like Beethoven. She's, we have, so our, so go, going into our backyard, we have a, a, a normal door, and then there's like a, like a glass, like more like flimsy door on the other side, right? Okay. There's a, there's a doggy door there. But it, it was kind of already like mildly broken. Like when we bought the house, like it wasn't like the best in shape door. There are massive chunks of that missing because she's chewed it <laughs> off for no reason. Like, just keep her out there. But then, like, she just she's chews on everything. Like, it doesn't <laughs> matter what it is. Like, if it's around, she just eats it. Like, there was it's a hers. Yeah. Well, there. Like, even I, I have a big uh, griddle outside, and there's a cover, and there's all these buckles. She chewed off. There the was buckles. a cover. Yeah, she chewed off the <laughs> buckles. Oh, no. And so it's it's been a it's been a battle and I, I don't want to paint it out to be all negative. She is a really great animal and she's she's very great and she'll be wonderful when she's calmed down a little bit, probably when she's neutered, which we haven't done yet. Um, uh-huh. But she is. Oh, my. It's just true, man. Pitbull owners know this and we knew it, which is why we didn't have one at first. But 
They're just, they have so much energy. They're, they are the most passionate, like lovable dogs ever, but good Lord, they're just so big and strong. Like, it's not like a lovable, right. like, you know, lab or a lovable golden retriever or a lovable, anything. they're just stocky. And so they're like these beasts that are like, she just has like these muscles. Like you can already tell. It's like, oh my God, you're huge. So <laughs> in any case, that's how that's going. Ochoa. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like my classroom. <laughs> That's right. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm teasing. Wow. Well, there you go, everybody. Welcome to Craft and Draft. Uh, I'm Pam Ochoa. Pa- uh, that is, I don't know who you are, Jacob Chastain. And here we are to talk to you about what, Jacob? What are we talking about today? We are talking about. The animosity that has come around about workshop. Why is workshop being turned against? Is it being turned against? I don't know. That's what we're going to be jumping into. We've we've had a okay. couple run-ins with stuff. You know, it seems like we're going through another phase in the educational space where choice is being leaned against. Uh, freedom is being leaned against in the classroom. The the workshop model is being seen as as maybe not as valid anymore for some of these other pieces. And so I just kind of want to navigate this because I, you know, I I said this before and I'll say it again and probably a million more times, but I feel like one of the main purposes of this show is you know the the people that we attract to this audience, especially our patrons, but the mm-hmm. the, the people who listen. It's like a a place where people can just come and be like, oh, there are some people who agree with me. Right. There's like minded people who who, you know, maybe we don't agree on every single aspect of what a classroom should be. But we're we're willing to have the conversation, we're willing to talk, we're willing to admit that there's nuance with all of this stuff and, and have these conversations and enjoy having them, not having, you know, yelling matches and arguing matches and everything, but genuinely trying to discover the answers through conversation. And so. That's what we're going to be diving into. We're going to be jumping into all of that today and seeing what is up. But I want to tell you guys that this podcast is really only possible because of the people that support us. And some of you have been supporting us for a very long time. And we thank you very much. This podcast would not exist without you. The lights would not be on. We couldn't be ad free without our Patreon supporters. And they are Alicia, Brandy, Leah, Mark, Amy, Sarah, Rebecca, Courtney, Carol, and Alyssa, Destiny, Lori, Natalie, Susan, Tracy, Andrea, Hannah, Lori, Jen, and Matt, always supporting us, letting us do what we do and getting bonus content in the process. A lot of them have gotten bonus merch that only exists through Patreon, such as a bonus sticker. There's a little tote bag that you can get. Also bonus episodes no one else ever hears. We drop one every single month and bonus videos that we drop mostly every month and training extravaganzas. That's what we're going to call them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> where they've been live. We've like done that. some other stuff, but really we've done our craft the draft setup over there. We've talked about data over there. We've talked about workshop over there. We've talked about the first few days of setting up your workshop. We've talked about extending your workshop. So many other things that you can get access to at our listener and listener plus tier, depending on what you can do. If you can't do those, you don't have any money to toss our way. That is okay. Subscribe. That helps us as well. And most importantly, review the podcast. That helps as well. Click that review button. Click that star button. That helps us rank with all of the other top podcasts out there. Let other people know that this is a podcast worthy of listening to. There's a lot to choose from, and we thank you for listening to us, regardless of if you here are for free or one of our Patreon supporters who keep the lights on. But with all that said, let's get to the conversation. 
Artemis Ochoa. Before we jump into why people hate workshop, <laughs> I want to I want to tell you a story. Can I tell you a story? Yeah. Yeah, all in. So when I became an AP, you went to dinner with me, my wife, uh, our principal at the time, and her husband. Yes. We all went out. To celebrate. And, you know, there was there was time where we reflected. There was times where we kind of shared some advice. And, you know, one of the things that we talked about at the table is I was going to come across things that I couldn't ever predict. Just the the life of being a oh, principal, right, I remember. an mm-hmm. administrator. It was one of the, the topics of conversation of how it's just stuff's going to come up. And you're that's the job is you got to figure out how to navigate and move through those things. And Friday was one of those days. <laughs> so it was already a weird day. It was a dress up day for school. Um, there were all, it was just, you know, one of those days where like everything seems a little crazier. Everything's a little bit weird. We were doing parent walks where parents came and they checked out the school, which was very nice. We always loved doing stuff like that. And so the energy was already a little bit different. And, my secretary pokes into my office and she goes, Chastain? And I go, yes. She goes, there's a student here with a specific complaint. <laughs> mm. And I went, okay. So I poked out and I opened the door and I go, hey, man, as a kid I had talked to before. I go, hey, man, nice to meet you or nice to see you. What's going on? He goes, Mr. Chastain, there's a goat in my classroom. Oh, my gosh. A goat. And I went. No, wait, 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 wait. A goat? Are you saying like an animal? <laughs> Listen to the cover. We're still I'm going. Sorry, I'm, I'm surprised. Go ahead. And I went, sorry? And he goes, there's a goat in my classroom. I'm like, like a, like a live goat. He goes, yes. And I go, how big's the goat? And he goes, you know, it's a smaller goat. And I said, but you're talking like a farm animal. And he goes, yes, <laughs> there's a goat in my classroom. And I go, I need more details. And he goes, well, I'm trying to do my work. And this girl who I won't name, he goes, she loves her goat. She posts about it everywhere, but apparently it's not enough to talk about it. She felt like she had to bring it to school. Oh my goodness. And I went, so there's a goat in your classroom. And he goes, yes. And I go, all right. And so I send him back and I call, so I call my associate who's not on campus or she wasn't okay, but she was, I just couldn't find her. And I go, Hey, uh, I'm headed up to, and I mentioned the classroom and I go, what's our policy on goats? And she goes, what? And I go, apparently I'm going to see a goat in a classroom. And she goes, well, we don't allow animals on campus like that. And I said, okay, I will make sure to get the goat off campus. And so I go to the classroom and I open the door. One of my, of course, one of the other APs joins me. She's like, I want to go see. And so we, (laughs) we both walk in there and I walk in and sure enough, there is a goat like the size of like a small dog Uh uh, in this classroom. Like a, like a, like a meat, like a small medium dog, like a little bit bigger, maybe like a large chihuahua. Right. Okay. And I'm just like. I walk in and of course there's like 25 kids in there because there's a goat in there. There's a sub in the classroom. Oh, okay. I was wondering. <laughs> and I go, what's going on? And, you know, they're all frozen because they know this is supposed to be happening. All right. And the girl just has this goat in her lap. And here's what happens next. Okay. I go, okay. So we're going to have to get the goat off campus. We can't have a goat here. And she goes, okay, well, he just peed all over me. 
And I went, okay. And she goes, Another why we don't have the goats on campus. And then she also goes, well, he, he also just pooped all over me. And I went, hmm. And so I'm just standing there while all of these kids are just kind of looking at me. And I get this goat. And of course, you know, I go, okay, well, put the goat down. We'll close the door. You clean up and then I'll, <laughs> I'll escort you off campus. And so I'm sitting there. And of course, you know, I take a few pictures. I'll send some to you so you can see it. But here, okay. I'll, I'll send it to you while I'm talking, actually. But they, uh, she, she starts cleaning, right? And she's picking up, you know, her, you know, the the animal droppings or whatever. And we're going through this process. And then I'm like, all right, so let's let's go. And I start walking around and she goes, be honest with me. She was like, if you weren't the principal, would you think this goat is cute? And I was like, I think the goat is cute now, but you can't bring your goat to school. <laughs> and then so I get her off campus. She takes actually, no, she goes, she goes, I'm just going to put it in my car. And I go, well, you know, I don't need a goat on campus. I also don't need a dead goat in the parking lot. So you're going to go home. You're going to take the goat home. And <laughs> did you get the pictures? It's a cute goat. Of course it is. It's adorable, but it should be it's a little on my brown campus. and white goat. <laughs> so uh, got she cute ears. She leaves and she comes back later and she's like, "Yeah." She goes, "My mom asked if I was in trouble," and I was like, "I saw." I was like, "You're." I was like, "You got the goat off. It's fine." And then that's kind of the the end of that saga. But I, you know, it's just one of those things that just go. You know, I was not expecting that day to be the day that i moved a goat out of my school is very strange and on our way out a kid saw it and goes is that a goat and i'm like i'm gonna need <laughs> you not to yell that please oh my goodness it's a cute goat i can't believe you didn't let it stay and learn well it was making a mess oh okay and it was a little rough but it was fine we we persevered all is well that's funny. Any case, workshop. <laughs> well, it sounds like to me anything goes over there. No, it didn't. I put it, it down. You, I was okay. the bad guy. Oh, don't say that. Don't say you put it down. No, I didn't do that. I put the I put the foot down. Oh, foot down. Okay. <laughs> anyway, Ochoa, so we. <laughs> Along with Sorry. goats being removed, we have this conversation that, that the the shifting pedagogy is happening. OK, and this is interesting. Mm -hmm. This means I've been in education. I feel like I'm earning my first badge. Right. Oh, OK. Uh -huh. when, when you're new and young, people go, oh, I've seen it. Justine, you're not talking about anything new. Everything Choice has been here. Around. Independent yeah. reading. Dear time has been here. Chastain, you're not going to go away anything. just like everything else. That's right. And that I feel like I'm here. I feel like I'm in my first like real trans. Like there's been some other ones, but I feel like this is a, such a big one where it's there's there's people leaning away from choice and voice in the classroom more towards this this kind of strict curriculum and there is some political implications there that we, we, we won't go into on this episode but the, the i think that is a piece to it but it's more or less uh i don't i think it's it's people and this is true and, and I, i'm thinking about this out loud which is why i'm stuttering this is we've talked about multiple times on this show ochoa where we say where teachers try to get more control it's when they feel like kids aren't going in the right direction, right? When there's more pressure, 
when mm-hmm. they when they feel that it, like that that teacher anxiety if things aren't going right they clamp down right and that's like that's death to the workshop is is when you feel like okay kids aren't doing this everything's going wrong so I'm just going to control it and I'm going to tell them what to do because they can't do it on their own right we've had right. that conversations multiple times now that I'm thinking about it due to COVID due to this a lot of the gaps that have kids have shown the academic struggles, the behavior struggles. Do you think that that's why that this, that has spurred on this, this massive push for an, uh, an, uh, a resistance to a more free flow classroom? Well, it could be, I mean, I think it's really been a fight for a long time because I remember back in the nineties when I started doing workshop, um, but actually in the eighties was when they really started talking about doing workshop. Um, but anyway, the, the way we know it today, but I've always, I mean, I, like I, t- I think I said about three or four podcasts ago that, I mean, I've been made fun of for doing the doing workshop, but I, I still wouldn't trade it no matter what. But no, I think, I think, yeah, they always say what comes around, it comes back around and it comes back around. And I think there is some truth to that. Um, you know, this idea of reading with the whole language approach. Now we're moving to that idea of science and phonics and all of that only, you know, but, but really the truth is, is we need a balance and we, but we have to allow the students freedom and time to work out their learning. If that's a way of saying it. Well, and that's the thing. Like I, we've never said, and even the, like the, the, the perennial workshop teachers have never said that there isn't a place for direct teaching or, or any of those aspects. But what it, it, I guess it comes down to like the, the focus of stuff, but I just don't know where the the animosity is. Like, I, truthfully, I mean, honestly, I think it's a little bit of the COVID stuff and kind of what we've seen in the classroom. But also, yeah. I think it's a I think that when people fear stuff, they they try to force something a certain way. And because of the nature of what we do in schools, sometimes we get lost in the weeds a little bit and we end up having conversations for the right reasons, but in the wrong way. Does that make sense? Like we, Mm -hmm. we sit down and we go, okay, so our kids are here. What do we do? Okay. Well, they can't do this. They can't do this. They can't do this. Okay. So we have to walk them lockstep through something. And it's, 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 it's a lack of trust in the process, you know? And (laughs) sometimes I feel like a broken record because we just say the same thing over and over again, but the process, the process, like the kids you have are the kids you have, right? You, you can't force them into a box. Like just because you have a more direct, like, let's say you're a a teacher who's like, no, they need to do this lockstep together and go through this whole process. And I'm like, no, I'm in a free flow. We're going to, we're going to work through this kind of in a workshop manner. I'm going to kind of let them discover as they're going. I'm also going to show them model text and mini lessons to kind of guide them. There's this myth that one of those ways is going to move kids necessarily faster, but that's not, I don't think, I think that's the wrong argument. I think the argument for workshop isn't the speed to which 
it affects kids, but at the length and time it keeps affecting kids. No, I agree. Um, if you don't mind me stepping in there, because I do have a thought on that. And that is, um, I'm not so sure that these high stakes testing and, I, and I'm not against high stakes testing. I'm really sure, not sure. against it. Well, it yeah, we've talked it's about helped it. to me along the way. So, you know, I, I'm not against it, but at the same, you know, um, but this idea of having everything on a schedule like that, like you have to, you know, that, how about this? Our administrators, whoever, our politicians, it doesn't matter who they are, but the people above the classroom teacher, they want results and they want results now, especially in time for that test. And if you're not getting it, then there's got to be a problem with your teaching. And if you just happen to be a workshop teacher and you don't get it as soon as they want you to, then it's like, oh, my gosh. So that the lockstep teacher that you're talking about, the one that does the packets and you know, and just does that direct teaching and the work, you know, the, the old way, the way that I think I was taught, um, they might get test results faster. Okay. Because it's short term. It's a short term effect. You're teaching them how to take that specific test, but that's not what workshop is about. Workshop is about growing, a child into a lifelong learner, a lifelong reader, a lifelong thinker, a lifelong writer. And that's what workshop is about. And sometimes it rolls a little bit slower because we allow the students to work through their own process in order to get there. That doesn't mean that we're not standard driven. And it doesn't mean that we don't have direct teaching, but it's the way that we go about it, which allows the student to investigate and become writers and authors themselves so that they can become thinkers and they can solve problems. So I would, yeah, I wish I could have a longitudinal study on this. I'm not sure how we could, but it'd be interesting to go back and see anybody who was a workshop product, if you will, how they ended up as adults. Because I would beg to say, if you will, that they are probably more productive citizens which is what I'm after than this person that learned how to take this one test on this one specific time so that they could forget everything and have to be retaught again the next year. They, I don't know. That's just my thinking on it. What do, what do you think? I, I mean, that's, that's exactly my point, which is there is a direct way to control kids. And I've, I've seen direct teaching, um, in lockstep teaching, I, I kind of want to di- differentiate those two because I, I feel like I've connected them in this conversation, which I don't necessarily mean that direct teaching is it happens in workshop, right? You have a mini lesson, you're yeah. direct teaching mm-hmm. I, lockstep teaching, right? Where you're controlling every step of every kid going, you know, all right, today you're going to write your thesis statement and you can't go on until I approve your thesis statement, that type of stuff. Yes. Yeah. That's how I was taught. Yes. And so those pieces Mm-hmm. I feel like they're, they're fine. They can get some stuff. I feel like it leans kids into cheating. There's a whole, you know, the chat GPT stuff. I think uh, I think the the number one way you get around kids cheating is to create more authenticity. Um, oh, yeah. 
uh, it doesn't completely get rid of it. Che- I mean, kids are going to cheat. It's just the nature of the beast. But um, I think the way you get them away from that is you get them to care about what they want to write. If they care about what they're trying to say, they're not going to cheat because no one's going to say it the way they want to say it. But regardless, that's a different conversation. That should be that should be the next podcast. How to how to get around cheating. Um, OK. Remember that because we say that on shows that we never remember what we're going to talk write about. write it next. down. Um, but. It, it gets results. Sure. Let's say it does. But what at, at what cost? If you're doing the controlling of what kids choose to do, you're doing the majority of the thinking. You are the one saying this is how something's written. This is what a paragraph looks like. This is what all this looks like. And I, there is an argument to say you have to teach kids those things. And I, sure, but you don't have to teach it in a way where everyone has to be the same. You know, we've we've been in classrooms as coaches where we walked in and a teacher was stressing that a paragraph had to be three to five sentences. And that's just wrong. It's it's factually wrong. Actually, mm-hmm. like you open any book. Some of them are one sentence. Exactly. Some of them are one word. That's true. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole that's an interesting conversation to have. But the moment you start mm-hmm. putting these arbitrary parameters around crap, you start forcing kids into a box and what do they do they disengage they go well i can't i can't do a five sentence paragraph so i'm gonna cheat or i'm just gonna ramble or i'm just not gonna do it which is worst case scenario right because Mm -hmm. they have to do the work in order to get better workshop on the other hand says hey here is one way to do it today let's see if we can do that tomorrow here's another way to do that is that better than yesterday I don't know. You decide. See what you got. Here's the next day. Here's yet another way to do what we're talking about. What do you think? Let's compare and contrast these. Which one's more effective? Why? Which one's more effective for you? Guess all. I'm not telling kids what to do. I'm showing them multiple published, authentic, incredible ways to do the thing that I'm asking them to do because of the standards and because of where they need to go in their academics. Mm-hmm. I'm not telling them which way's right because there's multiple ways to be right. If you read a New York Times article and you go read like a Yahoo article or an article on like a blog, those are all written differently for entirely different audiences, but are any of them wrong? Not necessarily. And so that piece is what you and I have always been concerned with, not necessarily what pedagogical method are we trying to do? But what breeds real literacy? What is real mm-hmm. literacy? What what does it mean to write authentically in a bunch of different ways? And that's what we I remember. We I had this very specific memory. We were like you and I were leaving. We we're in the parking lot and we sat there for like 20 minutes going, what does it mean what, what is authentic writing? Like, what are all the ways authentic writing happens? And we had that conversation and that was like, the, I feel like that was one of the earliest times where we were like, we need to invent something that honors that this is, piece. Yeah. Right. And so that those conversations are so interesting to me and it fires me up and it makes me want to talk and go into it. But that is 
it it requires a faith, so to speak, in the writing process. But I feel like you don't have that if you've never been through it. And I think that's a big problem with a lot of these conversations that a lot of people talking about this. They've never done it. They've never really written. They've written for school. They've written in controlled manners, but they've never written for authentic purposes. They've never gone through that process. And I think also on the reading side, too, they've only been told what to read. They've only they've only read in these instances, they've never read for, um, these, these other free flow, or they're not connecting that freedom of reading is directly correlated to growth in reading. But I don't know. Anyway, I feel like I'm rambling at this point, but so pick any of those threads that I just threw out there. I don't know where your thinking is right now. Well, my, my thinking is, well, you know, we can't get around the fact that I'm an Abydos writing trainer and reading trainer. So that's the whole premise. And that's why, uh, of the training. And that's why our actual institute lasts for three weeks. It's a, it's a long institute. But what we do is we have recognized the fact of what you just mentioned. And that is that teachers are not, teachers of English are not writers a lot of the time. I'm not saying that none of them are. I'm just saying they have, they have been taught literature, like in, you know, like in college, if they did, um, you know, most of, let's just put it my own experience. Most of my college English hours, right. And I have 36 of them. Uh, those hours are all mainly literature. I have one class that deals with writing where you learn how to write and then we had one class of grammar. Everything else was literature based and it was all reading and, and we did write, but they didn't teach us how to write. Does that make sense? We wrote like what you're saying. They, they gave us a prompt and told us what to do. And for the most part, or who to, who to analyze, but it was all literary analysis writing. It wasn't necessarily let, write a poem today. You know, it wasn't anything like that. So, so for the most part, when all of this started, most of the education that teachers had was was something like that. And so teachers would shy away from this workshop writing because you usually do what the way you've been taught. So the Abydos principle there is if we get the kids, teachers long enough, because it takes time to really figure out how to write, correct? So it takes time. So what we do is we put them in that that role and we actually teach them and you've taken it. So you know what I'm talking about. And you were like, I've not written this much. I remember that you were, you were like complaining about all the writing. So if you're complaining and you write all the time, <laughs> but it's like they do a lot of writing. And what we're doing is we take that and we 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 allow the teachers to actually be in a workshop. And before you know it, they've got two full pieces that they've written and they've got all these other pieces. So they end up writing at least three full pieces that they share out in some way and everything else that we write and write. But the whole principle of that is teachers are not teachers of writing in the past for sure. were not writers. So they didn't have that inside knowledge of how to go about teaching writing because but they knew how to assign writing. That's different. Assigning writing versus teaching a student how to work through the process. And if you haven't been through that process, and that's the whole principle behind the Sabados, you know, when we did that, when I started, it was New Jersey Writing Project in, in Texas. And that's because our founder, Dr. Carroll, came from Rutgers University up there in New Jersey. So um, 
so anyway, but the whole thing is, is it's all about teaching the teachers how to become writers themselves so that they go through the entire process. We take them through the entire process at least twice. So they run through two workshops and then we uh, let, you know, then through that, they learn how to teach writing. And that's exactly how, how I did it. Because before then I was a sign, I was an assigner. I, I can assign a, a prompt. I'm pretty good at it, but I didn't know really how to work. What It was more like, okay, your essay's due by Friday. All right, tomorrow we're going to be reading Romeo and Juliet for the next three days. But don't forget, your homework is to give me that paper. It's got to be five paragraphs. You have to have an introduction. Make sure you have three body paragraphs and a conclusion. But I never really, this is when I first started, you know, and I was pretty young. But that was how I was taught. But I guarantee you my writing when I was younger, I, I, I'm sorry for the teachers who had to read my writing because I know it wasn't good because I don't think they really taught me how to write. Does that make sense? You know, what's so I, funny I, is I, I still have my I have my senior papers that I wrote, which aren't very good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I still have them because I I don't know why. And some of them are, are decent, but they're I, I, I'm pretty I, I shared some of it in uh teach me teacher for those <laughs> brave enough to read that part. But, um, it's, it's so interesting because the, a really fascinating conversation that I have often is with my mentor, you know, Stacy hammer, who I only mentioned my name cause she's, she's been on the teach me teacher podcast. She was episode number two. Um, she's also mentioned in the book, teach me teacher, but greatest English teacher I ever had, but her and I have these conversations a lot because she taught in a different time. She taught during a time where, you know, it very much was, you know, you it's assigned writing, right? Mm -hmm. And she and it's cool to go and 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 support where she works and work with her teachers and talk about workshop and talk about kind of this 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 more free flow approach that is completely focused on standards, but still entirely flexible with what we're talking about here. Um, and it's interesting to where I've been able to kind of just articulate that for her because she has specific goals. She has to hit because, you know, she, she helping run a district. She's doing all these things. She, she can't just accept whatever, but it's been an interesting relationship to have that piece. And I think that's where the magic is. You know, do I think everything could be like Nancy Atwell's vision and in the middle? Absolutely. I think it could, I think it could totally exist in every single classroom across America, right? <laughs> You're holding it up. It's I, I need the, to read the original book, the hard copy. I, I need to reread it. It's been a while. It's one of my favorite things. I just love the way she writes about teaching. She's she's one of the best. Um, but that it's it's kind of like a to her like she's the the workshop version to me of Ron Clark. And what I mean by that is Ron mm -hmm. Clark serves as a very specific vision of what schools should be. She serves as a very specific vision of what workshop should be. In reality, uh, everyone meets somewhere in the middle. There, there's a lot of gray area. There's a lot of restrictions. There's a lot of stuff that we have to do in our relative district communities, etc., to make things work right. Right and. and that's where this podcast, I think, is it's at its strength as we honor those pieces. We don't we don't try to paint some pie in the sky vision, although sometimes we do get a little big um, in terms of what we're talking about. But it's always grounded in that stuff. So in any case, I, I think that I think there's there's a there's there's room for this this resurgence of the the direct explicit teaching. Um, you know, I've seen it on Twitter where 
you know, I'll say something uh, or on Facebook rather, because I interact with Facebook a lot more. You know, I'll say something and they're like, well, it should be, you know, these things have to be explicitly taught. And I'm like, I never said they shouldn't like just saying kids should have choice and voice and control of what they do doesn't mean I shouldn't explicitly teach them beforehand. I was like, what I'm arguing is for is how much I explicitly teach them. I think that's where a lot of the the contention is, is this, you know, it's like, you know, you might want a 45 minute lesson. I want to talk for 10 minutes and see what kids do with it. That's where my fun happens. Well, like here lately, I've been this year, I've kind of done this approach and that is I put them in the position of, of that writing, you know, of that writer, of that author. And then I teach them the elements I don't teach them the elements of whatever writing we're doing. I create writing moments for them so that they can write. And then I have them go back into their moments after I teach them uh, an element. So like if we were doing the element of information, informational text elements, you know, what's in an informational text? Well, I have already, before I even teach them that, I have already had the students reading and writing informational text and writing informational text just by the nature of today write about something you want to learn about right so what they do is they list everything they want to learn about they usually start by listing and then they circle it and then they write okay tomorrow write about something you're passionate about okay so they write about it well then in the meantime i'm giving them you know maybe some some informational pieces because that's kind of what I want to study. And then I give them a lesson and that lesson, that 10 minute lesson or 15, sometimes 20 minutes will end up being about the elements of whatever I'm trying to teach. Then I say, okay, go back into the writing that we did this, this last six weeks or these last, this last unit, whatever, go back in and, and now take what you just learned and see which of your pieces has this stuff in it. Now, that's the one that I want for test grade. And so that's usually how I do it. But the thing is, is by doing it that way, they've already written like three or four pieces before I even get to the lesson. And and yeah, I'm not directly teaching it every day, but I guarantee you when I start having a conversation about like, okay, so now let's analyze. Now I'm teaching them how to analyze text, right? Well, guess what they've already done? They've already analyzed their own for those elements. So now when I teach them the elements, and I've already taught them the elements, right? So now they they look at their own. So now as authors, they're trying to figure out, why am I doing this? Do I need to have this? Do I not need to have this? Well, now we're over here reading an informational article. And now we're saying, what did the author do? Did the author do the same stuff that you did? Why do you think it is? Why does theirs look different? So we're comparing the authors to theirs, a lot of the times, but then in, in the, but they've already played around with it. So they have a piece of knowledge that they can actually anchor the new learning on. And that's my approach. That is not a fast approach. It isn't. And I think that's where sometimes my score, to be honest, will be lower for a second, but then it ends up becoming higher at the end, typically. And that's because it's kind of a slow roll, but this whole time I just keep layering and layering and layering until finally they've learned all the different types of pieces I want them to learn within the units that we're trying to teach. 
but that's my approach. It's a little bit different than a lot of people. So everybody looks at me and and says, oh, well, you're you're from another planet. You just go, you know, go be you. But we're going to do our packets because it's more controlled. And I can guarantee a result with my packet. Here's the thing. And I mean, this is probably. I don't know. (laughs) It's it's important to, to point out. Truthfully, you you really nailed something there, which is, and we we've talked about it before, but it's the it's it's the trust in the process, but it's also it, what we advocate for isn't uh, an immediate result type of thing. It's not. Mm-hmm. It, it, but n- here's most things that are worth working for aren't. True. You know. Uh, most, most things that need you, most of the most valuable things in the world are not things that you get instantly. They're things you have to, to work for, to process through, to, to truly try to capture and, and figure out how to achieve those things. And so when we're working with kids when we're working with just a, a bigger picture than trying to master something to to pass a test or trying to to write an essay or trying to do something like that but we're really trying to give them something that affects them for the rest of their lives that that increases their life trajectory that's not a slow process or i mean it's not a fast process it's it is a slow process it's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's 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 the it's the act of learning how to live life how to navigate the complexities of of everything life is and to me that is a classroom that i want to put kids in it's a school that i want to put kids in it's a, it's a, it's a it's an environment i think young people thrive best in and they feel comfortable because they don't feel the pressure to instantly improve all the time things take time like mm-hmm. i think of all the things that i've worked towards and the things i have i have put the most time into it took a an incredible amount of writing pages and pages, literally thousands of words before I published my first book. Right. It took hours and hours of trying to do podcasts before I ever had a podcast. I was successful, right? Like I did, I've experimented (laughs) with all kinds of stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the list goes on, right. Both personal and professional and to, to make education out to be this, unnatural thing I think is, is the worst crime we've ever done to education. And what I, and I I think that is, it's hard to navigate that because we're so under pressure because of the, the laws that come out about accountability and we're not against accountability. It's just that how these things are handled, right? We're accountability is good. What's, what's not measured isn't done in a lot of places. And so we, we need those pieces of accountability to make sure that we're doing right. And also, I mean, p- parents are putting their tax dollars into public education. They should know how their public education's going, but that doesn't oh, yeah. mean that the way we measure everything is always right. Right. There, there's, there's, there's all kinds of levels to this, um, that I think a lot of people, we get trapped in the weeds and we start saying, Oh, just end it all. We don't need standardized tests. We're going to do this. And it's not, that's not the, the necessarily the right answer, but the, but the, the piece that I think you and I advocate for, and I guess my last note on this subject for this show is, uh, it, it's allowing time for people to be people. It takes time to grow 
literate people. It takes time to fall in love with literacy. It takes time to find your voice in writing. It takes time to understand how literature connects to you. And it might seem like there's no time, especially if you're in the upper grades, upper middle school, high school, because you're like, oh my God, how did this kid get to the 10th grade and they've never read a book or they've never written something that they care about or they can't write, et cetera, et cetera. But it is what it is. It still mm-hmm. takes time. Just because you lockstep them through something doesn't mean they're learning it faster. It means you're controlling their learning more. And mm-hmm. I think that we are limiting their that, learning. Even that's an even better way to say it. And I agree. It's it's you're you're just because you narrow their focus doesn't mean they're getting anywhere. It means you're literally controlling all the all the, uh, the possibilities that they could be going through. Um, and that's just not life. Like when you get out on your own, you have an unlimited amount of choices to make unlimited mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. are completely defined and your life is completely shaped by the choices that you make every single day. And there's a lot, there's mistakes that are good. There's mistakes that are mediocre that you can rec- recover from. And there's mistakes that are life altering, right? There's, or, and there's choices that are life altering, both good and bad, but you live mm-hmm. with them all regardless. Like it, that is the undeniable fact about life. And so if education can mirror that in some way and prepare kids for the reality of, look, you're, you're going to choose whatever you choose. You, you are going to be driven by emotion, by feeling, by rationality, by passion, by manipulation, by political ideology, you're manipulated by all of this stuff. And you have to ultimately decide how to make those choices and how to make the choices best and how to recover from choices that affect your life negatively. And as far as I'm concerned, we're talking big picture of education. Our classroom should mirror that as best as possible while still aiming towards, hey, you need to do these because we believe these pieces of education are quality, the standards. We want you to grow in this aspect because I'm your teacher and I need you to be able to read. I need you to be able to read a contract so you don't ruin your life by signing your life away. I need you to be literate enough to know that when you're listening to someone speak, that they're trying to manipulate you regardless of their platform. Other than that, it's, I don't know. And so to, to wrap that up, get off my soapboxes. It's, it's just weird. Where do we want to put the work on the kids? It goes back to the old question. Who's doing the work in the classroom? If you're doing a lot of controlling, if you're pushing kids through, you're doing the majority of the work. You're controlling their thought process. You're doing a lot of that. If you create an environment that's more open, but it has a goal, you're teaching kids how to think through stuff. Is it messy? Yes. Is it fast? Absolutely not. Does it, does it lead to immediate standardized results? Completely not. But does it lead to a better kid's trajectory? I think so. Yeah, I mean, I, ha- I have two thoughts as far as like stories from this week. If can I, if I, sure, if, is it okay? I don't want to, because no, I good. agree with everything you said. I don't want to minimize any of it, but two things. I got a brand new student this year, bless his heart. He just came in and, and um, so we're in the middle of writing. And so I kind of fast tracked him, if you will, to we're writing a, you know, we're working on arguments. So I need you to write me a, an argument. And he's like, I don't know if I know how to do that. And I said, that's okay. So I'm going to walk you through it. And I walked him through it really fast. So what I would do is I would give him a step and then I'd come back, you know. So the step would, the first step was list things that you're interested in. Okay. All right. So then he finds one video games. Violent ones are really not good for young children. That's what he decided. I did not 
decide that for him because he said video games. So what do you want to say about video games? So he comes up with one. I I don't think they're good for, I don't think violent ones are good for young kids. And I said, okay, well, that's one you really want to do. Yeah, I think so. Okay. So then I said, all right. I told him to make a T-chart. All the, the, you know, the thesis and the antithesis, et cetera. All right. So then I said, okay, now write. Okay, just seeing what he'll do. I'm going around helping other kids because they're all in different spots because this is true workshop, right? So they're all working on different things, different, you know, mainly argument because that's what we've been working on. So anyway, I come back around and he's got his his uh, paragraph and it's probably maybe three sentences and he goes, I'm done. And I'm like, uh, so you're done with your introduction? He goes, no, this is my essay. It's got three parts to it. And I said, well, no, because when we do an essay, we, we want to extend it. So tell me what you said. So he told me what he said. I said, I said, well, actually, each one of those things that you just said, the reasons, each one of those will be a paragraph. Why don't you try that? And he was like, you want me to write more than what I got right up here? And I said, well, yeah, I do. Uh, but, you know, you have time. Think about it. Uh, see what you can do, but but just pick one of those words and then write about the word. So anyway, he stops for a second and he goes, he was getting frustrated and he goes, how come nobody ever taught me this before? That was his comment. He was angry. Why has nobody ever showed me this before? And I said, I don't know. I wasn't there, but I'm here to teach you now. And he goes, okay, then. So then I'll leave him alone. I don't, cause I knew I was pushing him. I go over here to another student, you know, cause you know how you go and you you're talking to them and you're seeing, he wanted my advice. He's also writing his piece and he's got it all written. He's, he's one of these students that I guarantee you at the beginning of the year, he gave me fits. Now he's all like, Miss Ochoa, you remember that book we read? That was awesome. You know, so he's all of a sudden he's turned this corner. Cause I didn't think he would. He's one of those, like you had that one year that was, you know, we, we've talked about him more than once when, when we taught him, but anyway, so he comes in, he goes, Miss Ochoa, I have a question to ask you. I said, sure. And he's, he's got his whole, you know, he's got even paragraphs. I mean, He's even indented. I mean, this is like a miracle from the beginning. So he says, I've started, I've been reading this and both of these paragraphs start with also, do you think that's too much? And I went, well, what do you think? And he goes, I just think it's too much. I think it should be changed. Do you know how I should go about changing it? And I said, well, tell me what you're thinking. And he told me what he was thinking. I said, that's great. Just rearrange that last, that second sentence. And I think you're golden. He goes. Cool. I just want to make sure I was right. And then he's like, but what I'm saying is this is a kid who never, well, okay. So now let's finish up with that first kid. I leave him alone. Bell rings. We're done. Right. The next day he comes back with two pages. He continued that at home. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you wrote like way more. Remember he did only a pair. He goes, yeah, once I got started, I just couldn't stop. I just think that I've done some research like you told me to, and I just think it really is bad for kids to see all that violence. And then he had all these reasons. And I mean, <laughs> it's at least five paragraphs, maybe six paragraphs long, but they're not little paragraphs. They're like, it's two pages worth of, of stuff. And I'm like, well, why did you go work on it? He goes, well, I couldn't get it off my mind. And I just had to finish my thoughts. I mean, what is that? If that's not workshop, you know what I mean? That's the power of it. And, of and I think because it takes such a long time, we've got 
because going back to our original, why are people against it? I think they don't understand that giving those kids that freedom, letting them make those choices, giving them time to figure it out. Uh, you know, the, it just takes time. And I think I think we don't give them. We cut it short. Well, they're not writing. Like, because I guarantee you that kid that only wrote three and said, why? I'm not going to write more than that. That's where we stop. And we go, well, we can't do that. We're going to have to force them. So now you have to write four paragraphs. Your first one has to do this. Your second one needs to start with first. Your third one needs to start with the end second. And then your last one needs to stay in conclusion. And we do that because we don't want to have them work through that process. And so I think working through the process is really powerful, but I think both of those boys have learned how will be more successful. They may not make a high score on the test, but by golly, they know the power of writing and they know the power of choice. And they can even make decisions like, do you think I have too many also's? That's a big deal. Man, what a great way to end today's episode, ladies and gentlemen. This has been Craft the Draft. That's Pale with Jacob Chastain. We are two educators down here in the state of Texas enjoying our time advocating for workshop best practices and everything else under the sun. I didn't get, usually I do that intro at the beginning. I did not say that at the beginning. Isn't that weird? No, you didn't. I just went jumped right into it. You just wanted to, you wanted to talk about your dog. I did. It's just the dang dog. But regardless, <laughs> and the goat, but. Oh, and the goat. Regardless, game, subscribe if you haven't already. Join us on Patreon. You can get bonus episodes, bonus content, access to training. It's so much more. It's a great and happy place. We like to think so. But come back next week for another wonderful episode, ladies and gentlemen. And know that we are here for you.